Thank you, Stephen and ladies, Kevin. Everybody singing together sounds good. It's a good day to be in the Lord's house. Today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you want to turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, when I went back to get the flowers back in that little room, you could smell those roses. They were a very strong and a beautiful scent, and that oftentimes gives us uh, memories, things that we smell. You know, um, some people like the smell of roses, and some people uh, could do without it. And I learned something this week. Uh, there's a thing called an allergy. <laughs> I learned that I have those. Uh, but there's a pill that you can take for an allergy, and it helps you uh, to get over the symptoms anyway. It doesn't release you from the allergy, but it helps you to get over the symptoms. And I learned that in fragrances, there are some people that are allergic to some fragrances and some that are not. There are some people who are not allergic, but they have the same reaction uh, to a fragrance as they would if they were allergic, and that is called an irritant. So you can smell something that might be pleasant to someone else, but it irritates you. And there's not a pill that you can take for an irritant. You may have a runny nose and itchy eyes and all of the symptoms of an allergic reaction, but your body does not call it or act as it is an allergy. It is an irritant. Just a little tidbit for your information in case you uh, don't like roses. Now, the bottom line is that some people enjoy those smells and some people do not. Another thought I had. As a church, we often keep records of people that are converted, that are saved, who make a decision, come down to the front, they receive Christ. I personally believe they've received Him already, but they're coming down and making that a public, getting some questions answered perhaps, and, and then we encourage them to be baptized because that was the first command the Lord gave us. doesn't save them further, just... In obedience, they follow him in baptism. And so we keep records of all that. And I was thinking as I was preparing today, what do we keep records for the people that we turn away from Christ? Do you personally keep a record maybe of the people that you've led to Christ? And that's all good, you know, as long as you're not trying to be arrogant about it and you're just keeping a record and maybe names so that you could pray for them. But I wondered if you kept a record of the people that you turn away from Jesus. The ones that reject you in the gospel for whatever reason that might be. And I got to thinking about that. I bet, Donna, we don't keep those records, do we? No. And I bet you don't keep the records of people that you turn away from him. But it's a reality it's not always a negative reality. Sometimes it can be a positive reality. I, I wondered about moms today, being Mother's Day. I've got to put this in here, right? About moms who uh, send their children to church. 
instead of taking them to church. I wondered about dads who want their kids to go, but they're going to make arrangements for the bus to pick them up instead of them taking their children themselves. I, I was one of those. My daughter's right here, Danielle. Uh, today, we used to, Gail and I used to love for the bus to come by and pick her up and take her to church because we got a little time uh, without kids, you know, to be by ourselves or whatever, for whatever reason. It wasn't until I met the Lord that I saw the error of my ways and I wanted to take my children to church after that. But there's ways that we draw people to God and then there's ways that we deter people from God. Just like a rose. Some people it smells sweet, to some people it's an irritant, and they don't want to smell it. So with those two bits of information, let's uh, read in our Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm sorry, chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and let's stand together if you found that text, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, let's begin a reading in verse 12, okay? This is the Apostle Paul, he's writing about some trouble that he's having, and then he goes into this uh, text that we're going to look at closer. Verse 12, Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when, I, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in His triumph in Christ and manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death, and to the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God we speak in Christ, in the sight of God. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to see uh, ourselves in this text today. Lord, help us to realize you're speaking to each person in this room, and I am one of those. Help each person see that and hear it. Lord, let us receive your word today and let it change our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. How many people do I deter from Christ as compared to how many people do I draw to Christ? That's an interesting question, isn't it? We found here today in our text that some people uh, receive that and some people do not. So it's not necessarily your fault that you're deterring people from Christ unless you're doing things out of character of Christ. And so I wanted to start with that. Sometimes we think about true religion, the real thing. What is the real thing of Christianity? Well, sometimes uh, Christianity is practiced by people who are non-believers. They want you to think they're Christian. They want to be like a Christian, but they practice Christianity and its religion falsely because they really don't possess it. Then there are people who are just religious frauds. They care nothing about the church. 
but they gained from it somehow, in some way. Maybe a book writer or, or something of that nature, picking a religious topic and then trying to sell his book. Paul addressed that in verse 17. We'll get to that in a minute. And then there are the people that are uh, the ones who turn away. They, they believe, they go to church, but then something happens in their life and they turn away from God and they, they go on about their way. They appear for a little while, but then they leave. There's all kinds of uh, religious strategies, religious people. The head of all those strategies, it seems to be, is the devil. And his most subtle strategy is this, that instead of a fake Christian trying to win people to Christ or being religiously seen, instead of someone who doesn't have Christ but try to portray that they do, what the devil does is he takes a genuine Christian and then he leads him to live a sham Christianity. He puts thoughts in his head, he puts ideas in his heart, and he steers him away from truth. Could that possibly be happening? Yes. We can be followers of Christ, and yet we can have our own ideas, which ultimately stem from the devil himself to do things that are not in the character of Christ. And so because of that, we end up, instead of drawing people to Christ, we end up turning them away. So a real Christian, where do I find one? Where do I find the real thing, genuine Christianity? Well, one place you can find it. The Lord Jesus Himself, the one who started it, the one who lived it, the one who acted it and carried it out. Jesus said there were many varieties and brands of religion, and the most attractive of all of those would be the original. Amen? The one who began the church. Will you say, well, Brother Clay, you're going to compare me to Jesus and I'm supposed to live like Jesus. It was easy for him. He was God. It was easy for Jesus to be sinless. It was easy for Jesus to be perfect. It was easy for him to carry out God's commands. I grant you that. He was God. But you are failing to remember that he was also 100% man. He was 100% man. He suffered the same temptations you and I suffer, and He did it without sin. Even though He was God, He became a man who had limitations, just like you and I have limitations. You and I are taught to follow His example. Let's look at a couple of verses. Hebrews 14, I'm sorry, verse 15 in chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Okay, here's another one. 1 Peter 2, 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. Now, I know you and I will not live a perfect life like Jesus did. But the Bible does teach us to be Christ-like. Does it not? Yes, it does. It teaches you and I to be Christ-like in our life. I say this often. God's not 
desiring or mindful of your perfection, rather your direction. The way you're headed, the things you're looking to do, the things you want to accomplish in life. God wants us to have the mind of Christ. Look what it says in Philippians 2 on the screen. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. This, my friend, is how Jesus lived his life. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're going to do these things. But living the Christian life is what we're after. The real thing. I want to be the real thing. I want people, when they see me and deal with me and encounter me, I want them to be drawn to Him, not to deter them from Him. Amen? And so a person is looking for a genuine thing in you. He wants to see how real you really are. If he picks up on the falseness or the fakeness of you, he will be deterred from what you're presenting to him. But if he sees you genuine and he sees you the real thing, he will be drawn to Jesus Christ. People want the real thing. People want the original, the truth about it. So Jesus became a man. Philippians told us he humbled himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and he became obedient. He was obedient to his father. He looked for guidance through his prayer life. We read about Jesus praying. Why did Jesus need to pray? He's God. He is God, but he's also a man. A hundred percent. And he needed guidance. And so we would read about Jesus going off by himself to pray. Looking for that guidance. Trusting in his Father. Being obedient to him. And he did all of that by humbling himself. That is the real thing. That is the example that you and I need to follow. That is authentic Christianity. That draws people to God. Keep a record of that. The people you draw to God. And I challenge you, keep a record of the people you turn from God. I hope that the latter is greater than the former. Or the other way around. Sorry. The former is greater than the latter is what I meant to say. Today's Mother's Day. Right? Moms, your children watch you. They listen to you. They observe you. They're like a sponge soaking up what you do and what you say and where you go. Don't send them to church. Take them to church. Be the example that you need to be and can be to win your children to Christ. Man, I heard a great message on the radio yesterday by John MacArthur. He's talking about children. God's given us these children and the number one goal of every parent is not to raise a successful child. That's how we approach it in America. If I can raise my child successfully, he will be successful. She will be successful. And John MacArthur said, that's not the goal. The goal as a parent is to see that your child is saved. Amen. That your child comes to Christ. In his life. 
That is the parental goal of every person who receives a child under God's plan. So, moms, be the example that you are to be. What are some marks of an authentic Christian? What are some marks of a person who's living the authentic Christian life? Well, here's the first one. Thanks be to God. Look in verse 14. But thanks be to God. That's the first mark of an authentic Christian is to have a spirit of thankfulness. Someone who can give thanks even in turmoil. Someone who can give thanks even when things aren't going the way you want them to go. We give thanks to God. All right? The world operates on this law. You've heard of it. Murphy's Law. Right? If it can happen, it will happen. That's how the world operates. But here's how the authentic Christian operates. He operates on the love and the grace and the glory of God. That's how the Christian operates, on the love and the grace and the glory of God. Let's go back to the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. We see that those people were gathered together, and what were they doing? They were praying, and they were giving thanks. All right? They're being persecuted. They're being hunted down. They had to hide in rooms and catacombs of Rome and all over the place. And yet they meet together and they give genuine thanks. They are grateful for what God has done in their life. And they never forget about it. Today, we come to church, and I said this in my Sunday school class, most of us paint a smile on our face when we walk in that door. Well, actually, when you get out of your car in the parking lot. All right? I remember Dad saying he had to drive around the church three or four times with us kids in the car so he could get enough religion to go inside. Right? Because it was chaos at the house getting three kids ready for church. I can't imagine Stephanie with five. But here's my point. We often paint a smile on our face when we come in the door. Right? And then we say thankful things because that's what we're expected to say. Is that genuine thankfulness? No, it is not. Genuine thankfulness suffers hardship. Genuine thankfulness suffers tears. Genuine thankfulness feels pain and hurt. But yet, at the same time, here's the key. Genuine thankfulness knows there is an end being produced. When all of this suffering, the Lord who's allowing the suffering in my life is the same Lord who is producing an end for His glory. Alright? You think about that just for a minute. That same end will be desirous and glorious for every believer as we suffer through this world. Genuine thankfulness is not fake. How's it going? Everything's great. If we were honest, nothing's great. But I'm thankful because I know the end from the beginning. And I know what God's doing and He's working all things together for my good. That's a genuine thankfulness that you and I can have. 
An authentic Christian knows that the Lord is allowing it, but he knows he's bringing about a higher end in his life. He's thankful in the midst of pain, suffering, and trouble. Let me give you an example. This same guy who wrote this letter wrote Philippians. And in uh, that letter, he's talking about some things. And we realize from the book of Acts, chapter 16, that Paul wants to go to a particular place in the world to witness And the Holy Spirit says no. And so he turns and he wants to go to another place. The Holy Spirit says no. Paul goes to bed. In the middle of the night he has a dream. And there's a man from Macedonia in his dream. And he's calling to Paul, come and share the gospel with us. Paul wakes up from the dream. He tells his companions, God's calling us to Macedonia. Let's go. And so they jump on a ship. And they go to a couple of seaports on their way to Macedonia and they land and they come to the city of Philippi, a Roman city in the province of Macedonia. And in that place, they're witnessing and teaching on their way to Macedonia and they run across this girl and she's demon-possessed. And she's hounding Paul continuously behind him. And her owners are gaining a profit off of her because she's predicting things and saying things. She's a diviner. And so Paul turns finally and cast out the demon out of this young girl. And immediately the owners of this girl get upset with Paul and Silas and they take him to court. And in the court, the judges decide that they deserve jail and a beating. And so they stripped Paul and Silas of their clothes, and the Bible says they beat them with rods. Not twigs, rods. They took their lifeless bodies and threw them into the jail. The jailer threw them into the inner jail in the bottom. Put them in chains and locks. The Bible says in the next verse, but, but at midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Did you get that? Listen to me. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns and the prisoners were listening. And all of a sudden an earthquake came and the doors of the jail flew open and their chains came off. And when the jailer woke up from his sleep, he realized what had happened. He took his knife to kill himself. Because if you lose a prisoner in the Roman jail, the jailer gets killed. He took a knife to kill himself and Paul yelled out to him, Don't harm yourself, for we are here. In the middle of being beaten and left for dead in the bottom of a jail, Paul and Silas are giving thanks and praising God. That's genuine Thankfulness. That's the spirit of thankfulness that a genuine Christian should have. Guess what happened? The jailer runs into them, falls at the feet of Paul, and says, what do I do to be saved? You see that? God had a plan. God has sovereignty. God has providence. God had a plan for that jailer, and he used those two men to suffer And give thanks so that that man and his family could be saved. That's what a genuine Christian does. 
they give thanks. What's the second thing we find in our text? It's very similar to the first, but let's look at it again in verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Now, when does God lead us in triumph? Sometimes? No. Occasionally? No. Always. He always leads us in triumph. In other words, an authentic Christian achieves the goals of God. All right? Think about that. It involves hardship. It involves struggles. It involves tears. In fact, at the moment, it might seem like failure, but triumph is right around the corner. What's a prime example of that? The cross of Jesus Christ. He hung on that cross. He died on that cross. All of hell was rejoicing. Amen. They took Him down, put Him in a tomb. A three-day party in hell. But God, on the third day, raised Him from the dead and defeated death. Paid for your sin. What seemed to be at the moment, failure ended up producing triumph. God's people are always led in triumph. Never are we led to defeat. Never are we led to quit and give up and stop. We are always led in triumph. Do you see that? That's the authentic Christian living that life, understanding that principle, and knowing that what's happening for the moment is not eternal, is not forever, is not worth quitting about, is not worth stopping, because God's people are always led in triumph. Man, what a great principle for us to live by. This triumph is always assured to us. Even opposition to you is made to serve victory for you. Okay? Even the opposition you face is ultimately made to serve victory for you. This does not mean that all of your goals will be realized. That's not what I'm saying here. Paul had a goal. He talked to us about it in Romans. Paul said, I would give up my relationship with Christ if my people Israel could have it. Now that's a dedicated man. To be willing to go into hell for his nation. But God said, no, Paul. You go to the Gentiles. Peter will go to the Jews. So Paul had a goal that he was not allowed to reach. You may have goals that you are not allowed to reach by God, but the real thing is this. Not my will, but yours be done. An authentic Christian understands that. Every obstacle becomes an opportunity. Success is inevitable for you. Success is inevitable for you as an authentic, living it Christian. You get that? Be thankful and be led in triumph by the Lord. What's another example from the Bible? Let's look at Philippians chapter 1. Paul writes to this church. Paul's been thrown into jail in Rome. All right? 
He is handcuffed to a praetorian guard every minute of every day. These guards change shifts. One leaves, another one comes in, they handcuff him to Paul. These praetorian guards, if you didn't know this, are all the sons of the elite in Rome. The senators and the such. Their sons are the praetorian guard who guard Caesar. Amen? This is who Paul is chained to 24-7. If you ever felt sorry for Paul being chained like that, don't feel sorry for Paul. Feel sorry for the young man who was chained to this crazy old man talking about some guy who was dead and raised to new life and that he is the Savior of the world. So Paul was witnessing to the upper elite of Rome every single day. Now let's read it. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. You and I would crumble and lay in the corner of that cell and die. But not Paul. Why? Because he said we are always led in triumph in Christ. We will always succeed. I want you to know God had a plan. And He put Paul in that prison so that Paul would witness to the upper elite sons of Rome day in and day out. And these men became Christians because of that. You may think it's failure, but you've got to realize you are always led in triumph in Christ Jesus. Don't look at obstacles as the problem. Look at them as opportunities. The third mark that I want you to see is this one. Make a memorable impact. Look in verse 14 again. But thanks be to God who always leads us in His triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. A sweet aroma to God and to others. Right? That's what you've got to realize. Remember, I know when Gail puts on perfume anywhere in the house, I can smell it. And what does that do? It brings memories to me. It brings memories when we... We're dating. It brings memories when we go out to eat somewhere. It brings memories of joy and happiness in my life when I smell that. You understand, those aromas bring memories to us. And they're good memories, or in our text here, they might be an irritant. And we don't want to smell that smell, right? This is what Paul is talking about. An authentic Christian leaves an impact wherever he goes. To some, he leaves an impact of life to life, and to some, he leaves an impact of death to death. 
Now, it's not the Christian necessarily who's causing this. It's just the smell. All right? It's just the aroma of Christ. You and I know people that don't want to be saved. We know people that reject God. We know people that don't want to be a part of a church. That was me for 34 years, by the way. But somebody really stunk up my house with Jesus and I couldn't do nothing but surrender. Amen? And it wasn't a stench. It was a sweet aroma of Christ. But I want to challenge you with this. Wherever you go, you leave an impact. Men at work, women at work, at school, kids, you leave an impact. We leave an impact at the gas and go. We leave an impact at the beauty shop. We leave an impact at the Walmart. We leave an impact at Super C. Wherever we go, we leave an impact on people. An aroma of Christ. To some, it's intriguing. To others, it's rejecting. The point is not that you make it receiving. The point is that you leave an impact. A lingering fragrance. What about the phony Christian? He leaves, he leaves an aroma. It's a stinking aroma, right? It's an aroma that nobody would want to have Christ in their life because of a fake Christian or a phony Christian or a Christian who's has a bad attitude or a Christian who has a gossiping spirit or a Christian who has a lack of love. Those kind of smells nobody wants. And those kind of smells an authentic Christian does not put out. An authentic Christian erases those from their life. They become obedient to the Father. They become obedient to the Word. That's what God desires for us to do today. The fourth mark, and the one that's led up to this now, is this one. Undeniable integrity. Look in verse 17. For we are not like many peddling the Word of God, but from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. What is all of that saying? Paul is saying that some people peddle the Word of God for a profit. Today, does that happen today? You better believe it. If you hear of a person who is known as a prophetic teacher, beware. Okay? If that's all they're doing is teaching prophetic things, beware. If you know of a person who is all about healing and that's all that they do, beware. Beware. If you know a person who is all about signs and gifts, beware. Hey, there's books that we need to learn from. But if this person is peddling that as their way of making a living, beware of them. Paul says we are not like many peddling the word of God. Paul says, I'm not making a profit off of this. Paul says, I'm going to give you the whole counsel of God. So if you find somebody who's just picking and choosing religious things to present to make a living off of that, beware of that person. They're peddling the word of God. They need to be teaching the whole counsel of God. That's a biblical teacher, amen? Not someone peddling the Word of God. Paul says we're not peddling the Word of God. He says, but as from sincerity, but as from God we speak. So there are some qualities of a person who is a 
Christian of integrity. The first one is this, that they speak with sincerity. That's what he says there. We speak with sincerity. We speak honestly. We don't hold punches. We don't tell fabricated truth. We don't water down the gospel. If you get offended by the gospel, good. If what I say about Christ offends you, good. I'm glad you're offended by it. You need to be offended by it. Because if you're not offended by it, you will stumble over Him on your way to doom. I had to be offended in order to be saved. I went to church at 14. I got saved and baptized. I went to church camp. I thought I was a Christian. Somebody along the way offended me about that. Why aren't you going to church today? Oh, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You ever heard that? You don't have to go to church to worship God. I used that so much, I was sick of it myself. But I realized finally that somebody offended me about it. And then I realized that I wasn't a Christian. That I had a religious experience when I was 14 years old. But I grew up to be a man as far away from God as a man could get. And it wasn't until somebody questioned me about it and offended me about it that I realized I needed Christ. I hope some of you here today are getting offended. I hope you realize that you need Christ. You need Him. We have a broken heart at birth. And we don't become better people until we are born again. We speak with sincerity. The second mark of integrity of a person is this, as sent from God. Verse 17 says, as from sincerity, but as from God. Paul says we were sent by God. We are commissioned to go. A Christian of integrity realizes that fact and never loses sight of that fact that he's been commissioned to go and share the gospel. The third mark of an authentic Christian into integrity is this, before God, in the sight of God. You must understand, my friend, there's nothing that you can do to hide from God. There's no place you can go. There's no place that is hidden from His sight. Everything you do and say is out in the open with God. All your thoughts, all your heart, emotions, all your motives. The reason you're here today, I came to make mom happy. God knows that. God understands that. He's challenging you today about that. I hope that offended you. I'm not the type of guy, don't get me wrong, that goes around trying to offend people. I'm the opposite of that. But when it comes to waking somebody up to the reality of Jesus Christ and the reality of hell and heaven and the choice that man has to make, then I want to speak what God says. As Paul said it like this, for we are not like many peddling the word of God. We are as from sincerity. We are as from God. 
speaking in Christ in the sight of God. There's no place hidden, no cover-up. Everything's evaluated and tested. Jesus told us this, what you whisper in the darkness will be proclaimed from the housetops. Wow. What I gossip with some, what I gossip with one of you, just you and me know about it, we're talking, the Bible says it's going to be proclaimed from the housetops. Whoa, Lord, don't do that. You know how many people I've talked about and run down and ridiculed? Oh, not to their face. Oh, it's a shame, isn't it? To think like that. A person of integrity realizes that everything is in the open with God. The last thing I want you to see is with Christ. In Christ, verse 17, in the sight of God. In Christ, what does that mean? Spoken with authority. On the back of your bulletin was a deal about authority. Read that today. All right? Read that about authority and how much it's needed in our society today and how much it's needed in an authentic Christian today that we speak with authority. Sincerity, transparency, purpose, and authenticity. All of these things make up the real thing, the real Christian. As you go about your daily living, you're putting off a fragrance of Christ to God and to others. To some, they are drawn to life. To others, they reject it and go to death. All because of the fragrance you and I put off. Man, listen to me. Paul did not pull any punches with us today, did he, on Mom's Day? Well, I could have preached another message about that, but I wanted to end it with this thought. You mothers, if there was an opportunity for you, as a mother, to give your child to death to save the world. What would you do? If you had an opportunity to give your child to death to save the world, knowing that you would raise that child up on the third day, what would you do? We say, well, that makes it a lot easier. I, I would, I would, I, 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 I think I would do that. But I think differently, because you wouldn't want your child to go through that. And your child is the world to you, Amen. So when God did that, and then He gave His child to die for the world. How important is it to God that you and I today respect that? Amen. You see, my child means everything to me. And if I gave him to die for the world and then I saw people mocking it and ridiculing it and degrading it, and not believing it, how would I react? Well, I know how I would react. Wipe them off the face of the earth. But you know how God reacts? He loves them. And He calls them. And He continues to call them. That's what's happening today in this room. God is calling Amen. you. 
God's calling some of you here today, right now in this place. Respect His Son. Admire Him. Honor Him. Believe in Him. Follow Him. God's serious. Because the Bible tells us one day God will judge you for your sin. Without Christ, you stand before God in judgment. With Christ, Jesus took the judgment for you. What a beautiful Savior we have. To live as authentic believers. People of integrity. People who are led in triumph. People who are genuinely thankful in Christ. People who, by the way, leave an impact on the world where they live. Let's pray. Father, help us to be those people. Help us to be that person as an example of Jesus. Father, lead us to do so. Show us the importance of it. Help me change my schedule. Help me change my lifestyle. Help me turn off the television and open my Bible. Help me get up and pray in the morning with my children. Help me to pray and give thanks before every meal at our table at home. Help me, Lord, to be the example that would lead my child to you. Father, help me to be authentic. Help me to be genuine. Help me not to forget. Help me to know that you love me so much that you gave your son in my place. Help me to receive that, Father, today. Help me to live it from this day on. In Jesus' name. I pray, amen. Let's stand.